Good morning. Oh, it's hard to see everyone. It's a pretty manageable group. So um, I think my job probably is to kind of shake things up a little bit because usually when I talk about this subject, designers don't get very enthusiastic. <laughs> so just um, before we start, how many of you, if I can see you, how many of you use code as a design tool? Okay, quite a bit. And code's a big word, right? So I mean like HTML and CSS. So it doesn't have to be JavaScript or Python or anything like that. So, um, Well, since so many of you do, then you might not mind. It might not be like, uh, like this guy. That doesn't work. This guy. Who knows this guy? Nick Walenda. He's high-wire walking above Niagara Falls here. He also uh, walked over the Grand Canyon and lots of other crazy, crazy stuff. So the guy's pretty insane, but if I were to do this, I'd be like way out of my comfort zone, and I'm sure you would be as well. And for a lot of designers, code is kind of out of the comfort zone. So I want to talk a little bit about that today because it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be that way. Um, we'll be talking about Photoshop uh, which I'm not, I'm not going to be making fun of Photoshop. You know, Photoshop is cool for lots of things, like uh, Croco Bear. <laughs> That's pretty well done, actually. <laughs> so the, Photoshop's great for a lot of things. What we've found is that Photoshop is not as good as a design deliverable, especially now in, the di in the, you know, this era of responsive design and all these devices. And an important thing to remember is that we're not talking about designing in the browser. That's how, I think Andy Clark talked about that um, like maybe five or six years ago. But it's not really designing in the browser, even though that's the, the name we give it. It's about getting into the browser as quickly as possible. So that doesn't mean don't use Photoshop. Okay, so say that right off the bat. Um, we are talking about using web-based, browser-based comps to communicate our design. So that's whereas we would normally use Photoshop comps, just static images, now we're moving to these more um, dynamic and, and more arguably more useful comps. Um, the thing about Photoshop and fireworks and InDesign or Keynote or whatever it might be that you use traditionally for design comps is that it's just... Um, a representation of reality. It's not reality itself. And as web designers, we have an opportunity that, that we didn't really have as print designers to um, actually do something in the medium that we're, that we're working with. So when I did print design many, many years ago, there was, uh, I, I knew a lot about print. Anyone who does print design, any print designers here as well? Yeah, you know about, a lot about the printing process, technical um, aspects of printing process. So you know what kind of paper you're using and how that absorbs the ink and all that kind of stuff. So we knew when we did advertisements, for example, if I wanted to advertise in, in a newspaper, this particular newspaper, the press and the ink they used and the paper they used, that combination of things would mean that if I had 85% black, that would be full black. If I just put full 100% black in my, in my image or in my advertisement, it would just 
everything would bleed together and it would look awful. So you know a lot of technical things about that. But you never really know what it's going to look like until you're done, until it's printed. And that's one of the things I hated about print design, especially when I did packaging. I did a lot of packaging design. And I, um, w- we had these they were fr- French fries, right, that you buy in the, in, in the store. So these, these bags of French fries. And I made this little calculation um, error of one millimeter. So one millimeter is not that much. But the, if you know about this process, this plastic gets printed on these huge rolls. These rolls are like kilometers long. And one millimeter, once you get about halfway through that roll, the front of the packaging is like halfway on the back of the packaging. <laughs> so, so my boss was not really happy, and we had a, um, an unpleasant discussion. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, messing up a phone number, things like that. It's great that when something goes wrong with a website, um, that the client could call and say, hey, this thing's wrong with the website. And you're like, what? What's, what's wrong? I don't, I don't see it. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got this opportunity to just, uh, with free things that we have on all of our computers, we can just um, play around with our designs there. There are lots of good reasons to use um, web-based comps instead of something static like Photoshop. And uh, one of them is that we have all these different devices. So you can take one comp and show the same comp on all these different devices. And if you do your comps responsively, then you'll have um, changes that propagate to all these different devices. It's really, really impressive when you walk into a client a client's office, and you have one comp, you show it on um, all these different devices, you invite the client to pull out his or her device as well, and they can look at this design. So a design, a, a web-based comp is a web page. It's a static web page. So anything that can read a web page, you can show this design on. Um, so this is really, really important in the age of responsive design and uh, multiple devices because we need to get clients to know what that means very early on in the design process. And what we did traditionally with static comps is show the client a beautiful picture of what this thing will never look like, <laughs> right? And uh, that's a problem. So we're setting, we, we were setting the stage for disappointment, really. Font rendering is different in browsers. It's different in different browsers. Um, Colors are different. Everything's different. And since we're, we have that opportunity to work really close to the medium, then we should take advantage of that. And it's not totally something that's only um, inherent in web design, but you see it in fashion design as well. Fashion designers, they, they play with the material. They're pretty close to the medium as well. Okay, so... Um, I don't know if any of you work with version control, probably several of you. Um, version control is really, really useful. So f- for those of you who are like pure visual design and never wanted to know about this stuff, if you have a bunch of changes that you've made, version control is just the way developers uh, keep track of those changes and save them and document them. Um, and you can pull back changes when you want. You could see why someone made a change. It's really hard to do with large Photoshop files especially if you're doing responsive design. And the time.com redesign, for example, 
the company that did that, they had more than 200 PSDs. And you can imagine what that means when someone says, I think the heading should be a little bit bigger, <laughs> right? So uh, we all know how it, is, how it works in Photoshop. You shake, take the heading, you make it bigger. You can't just make a heading bigger. You know, you, that changes everything. That changes the space that you need around the heading, which means you have to push down paragraphs, which means that, you know, it runs off the page, so you have to make your entire document larger, things like that. Every single thing you do can impact other things. It's design. Um, it's much easier when you can just go into a CSS file and say, um, H1, font size, whatever. Uh, so CSS is becoming an interesting design tool to, um, to take a look at. And all these little changes can be put into version control because it's all text. So you don't have to save 20 different versions of this you know, 50 meg PSD. Um, changes are quicker to implement. And this is one of the main reasons that I started talking about this type of thing, uh, that I wrote my book, Responsive Design Workflow. It was based on frustration. I, was doing, I did a, a website for the Netherlands Court of Audit about six or seven years ago. And um, it was a fun project. They're a great client. And the, the problem was that every single change that, that the client made, the, the CMS developers, they just required us to make that change in every single Photoshop file. So even we couldn't just say, okay, this is what everything looks like, but um, all the newest changes, you know, the red headlines and stuff like that were in just this one file. No, we had to do that in every single file. And we didn't even, that wasn't even in, uh, in the time of responsive design. So the frustration that I had led me to try to find a new process. And I was thinking about, hey, wouldn't it be easy if you could just like change one, one thing in CSS and that propagates to all these different things? And we can. So that's one of the big advantages. Another advantage is um, state changes, logged in, not logged in, um, different, thing, different changes on different devices, um, interactions, you know, what happens, when you, what happens when you click on this or when you touch that or when you hover above something? What happens then? These are interactions or part of interaction. And one of the things which I'll talk a little bit more about in a few minutes, but one of the things that I've always been saying is that we're all interaction designers. We're all UX designers, in a sense, even developers, even the client, because every single change that you make, everything, every single decision that you make is somehow a design decision and will affect how the, the end user uh, deals with the thing that you're making. So I'm not easily convinced that if you have a wireframe and it's an intricate, beautiful wireframe, and you hand that over to a visual designer, which I think is a terrible term in and of itself, and they get to color it in, right? C color by numbers. Um, th if, if they choose to do something bright yellow, that's going to have an effect on that interaction design. So interaction designers who traditionally made these wireframes and then passed them over, and they were done with their job, that's not interaction. The interaction, you can best most effectively um, affect the interaction later on in the process when you have a, a working thing in the browser that someone can actually interact with. That's when interaction happens. You can't imagine this stuff beforehand. Well, you can, but
but it's just imagination. It's fantasy, fantasy land, until it becomes real, and we have the opportunity to make it really uh, real. Uh, you can perform design testing, not user testing, <laughs> as, we, as we learned. Um, you can test these designs in the browser. You know, uh, can I reach this thing with my thumb, for example, on my phone? All these different things you can test as opposed to working with static comps. And you can leap tall buildings <laughs> with a single bound. Um, so the, the point is that you really only know what you're dealing with when you're dealing with the actual thing. And since we can make that, we, we probably should. Okay. Another thing to think about is that we're not designing pages. We're designing systems. So in that sense, what we're doing as web designers is more akin to something like signage systems. Uh, there are all these different components that somehow fit together. Sometimes we don't even know all the different ways that these components can fit together. Sometimes there will be different components depending on the device. If you have GPS-enabled devices, you might have some kind of other component that you don't have on non-GPS-enabled devices. So th these are things to think about. These are things you can play with in the browser. Um, in fact, what we often do is we make these separate components, and we can pull together uh, and make what, what we call declarative mock-ups, where we say, I'm going to make a page now, because the client, wants, the client thinks in terms of screens or pages. And so we could say, we're going to make this screen, and we'll pull in this component, that component, this component, that component, and boom. Uh, as long as you have you know, your layout constraints set, you have this page that the client wants to see. So you're creating more of a, a box of Lego, if you will. Um, this is a, a really important thing to, to think about because when you think in terms of pages or screens, you'll always be surprised by the things you didn't think about. Okay? So working in the browser or in code helps us, helps us deal with that. And no one's saying stop using Photoshop, of course. So Photoshop is, um, has become kind of a sketching tool. How many people sketch in Photoshop here? Okay, not that many. I'm happy, I'm happy to hear that, actually, because the environment in which you sketch has an influence on, that, on whatever you're doing. So the fact that you have a toolbar in Photoshop will somehow influence... The, the stuff you do. Remember when we first started using Photoshop, and I, I guess it was like maybe late 90s, Photoshop for the web, and all those filters, everyone was using all those filters, so you had all these 3D uh, beveled <laughs> embossed buttons in rainbow colors with unicorns, you know, <laughs> things like that. So luckily, it's not like that anymore, but... Um, we're influenced by so many things as designers. You know, there's, there's 3D design and there's flat design and all these decorative um, layers, I guess you could say. Uh, all these different influences. And we don't need a tool to influence us even more. Um, I recommend pen and paper or pencil and paper. But, you know, everyone has their own tool. So I gave a, um, guest lectures at a college several years ago. And... I was talking about developing your own online portfolio and uh, designing it. And I, so I gave a little talk, and then I said, okay, let's start sketching. And everyone went and sat behind a computer and opened Photoshop. So I was like, 
I guess I'm just old or something, you know? What, it, what is going on here? So apparently, I, I shouldn't be as religious about this thing, not sketching in Photoshop. If you're happy sketching in Photoshop, that's fine. Just consider not using that as your end deliverable for, for designs. Um, another thing that people tend to do is think that I'm saying, uh, you know, you should only work in code. And that's not true. That's not true either. So w- what we're doing is introducing another tool to our tool set. And when I moved away, well, when I first started print design, and this will show my age. Mark and I were talking about it last night. We used to actually um, have these big pieces of board, and we would, we would draw the stuff and paste, you know, paste the composition on board, and we'd send that off, and they, they'd actually make a, a photo of that, and they'd turn that into a film and turn that into plates, and that's how the thing would get printed. So we didn't even use Photoshop for print. And then um, Photoshop came along, and uh, when I was doing these comps, we had these, these boards, presentation boards. We'd stay up like 30 hours, you know, with a team of people making this whole row of uh, presentation boards with uh, stuff that we drew. We used to have these really expensive colored markers, which I'm sure a lot of you know, and we would, that's how we would you know, present, that was our design comp, were these things drawn in these expensive colored markers. So we'd, we'd Greek the text, all the text were just Copic, cool gray, number five, you know, <laughs> lines, and that was it. And it became more complicated because we started using Photoshop because it looked nicer. Um, it looked a lot more like a finished product, which helped us sell. That's really what it comes down to. It sells pretty well. Um, but with the web, it doesn't scale. So it does sell at the beginning, but, you know, setting up for disappointment again. So um, we were convinced that Photoshop was not going to be the way uh, to go. You know, Photoshop and Quark Express and things like that. So to us, back then, those were new tools. And, and we were kind of old school. And now, uh, code, that's kind of a new design tool. And a lot of people, a lot of naysayers, are saying, well, you know, that's just not going to happen. It is going to happen. It's happening uh, right now. So just like we got used to it back then, it's just something we can get used to today. And it's not hard. If we look at HTML is just uh, a way of telling a machine what something is. We put an H1 around a piece of text, and we're telling the machine, this is a heading, you know, this is a paragraph, this is a quote. Um, that's all HTML is, just telling a piece of software what this thing is, what this piece of content is. It's a way of structuring content. And it's arguably the, the most portable and universally used way of structuring content. It's not the best way, probably, but it's the way that's on just practically every single device that we have. So um, we just need to deal with it. I was giving a workshop in Berlin, and the <laughs> I went through the whole day, and then at the end, this, uh, this guy, this designer came up, and he said, uh, since you're not using Photoshop, where's the creativity? <laughs> he really, really said that. Assuming he's not here right now. <laughs> but creativity doesn't come from a tool. Creativity is here, right? 
Um, it, you don't, it doesn't even matter. People are creative with a napkin and a pen. You know, uh, Mike is creative with a, a pen and a little notepad. Um, he'll tell you about that this afternoon. But you can be creative with just about anything. And we have all these, um, all these great tools. And w- you're going to hear Val uh, this afternoon talking about uh, animations. And when you know a little bit, when you learn a little bit of CSS, and you are into interaction design, and you find out what you can do, um, and you can play around with it yourself, you can get really, really excited about the stuff you can do. There's a lot of possibilities here. Okay? So just, you know, relax a little bit. If you're kind of afraid of code, don't, don't be afraid, because it's just easy to, it's easy to play around with. Okay? So I was asking myself the question, why the pain? You know, why, is, why are so many designers kind of code-averse, if you will? Uh, what's the problem with, the, with working this way? Anyone have an idea of why designers kind of are holding back a little bit? Yes? It's about being fluent in your tool. Okay. I think that's probably one of the biggest reasons, right? Um, it's, it's less visual. How so? Right, okay. So, the, uh, so he said it's, more, it's, it's less visual. It doesn't have to be less visual. We'll talk a little bit about that. But I think the fluency thing is, is a big thing as well. When, when you first learned Photoshop, did you know how to use Photoshop? No? Photoshop is probably the most advanced, complex piece of consumer software uh, that there is right now. Um, I often talk about this book that I read. Um, it's about 600 pages about the Photoshop LAB color space. You ever worked with LAB? Um, LAB, if you, if you don't use it, you won't even come across it in Photoshop. Okay? It's, a, it's this functionality that's there, but you almost never see it, and there's a book that's 600 pages about it. The one thing in Photoshop you could write several huge books about Photoshop. It's very, very complex. And you become fluent with it because you use it, right? So if you use code, you become more fluent in code. It's not very hard. You know, we're not saying become a front-end developer. We're saying learn little bits. Learn little bits that'll help you out. Okay, and I think uh, we'll address the the visual uh, aspect as well. Um, so I'm basically saying you have to learn. It, well, you don't have to do anything. But I would recommend, highly recommend, learning uh, basic HTML and basic CSS. You'll learn more automatically. The more you learn, the more interested you'll become, the more you see what's possible, the more you'll automatically learn. You'll just pick things up. It's how we all learned it. And you become more fluent. And... Since we all like kind of top ten list type things, um, I'll talk about some things that, that might make starting out working in code a little bit easier. Okay? And the first thing, which is arguably the most important thing that we can do, is to communicate and collaborate. It's not exciting, but it's one of the most important things. Especially the larger the organization, the, the more problems they have with communicating. And 
you get more of that assembly line effect, you know, where there's someone's giving me a wireframe, I have to color that in, I give it to a developer, the developer, um, you know, swears <laughs> to himself, and then uh, tries to make that, the stuff he can't make, he says, um, can't be done, you know, go back to the drawing board, that kind of thing, this assembly line mentality. If we all, in my dream world, when I go into um, to projects at, at larger organizations um, and I help their teams, there is one team. And if they don't like it, they don't hire me. <laughs> you know, just everyone, including the, the, the client or the, you know, the, project, the product owner or whoever the, the client is, internally or externally, everyone gets together at every single step in the process. And they talk, they communicate, they all work on this thing uh, together. And it works really, really well uh, because everyone's, everyone owns the thing that's being made. It's not, I do this little part and then pass it over to you, so that's your responsibility. It's everyone's responsibility. That's like, the, if you could only do one thing that would improve web design, that would be it. So this is really, really important. Pairing with a developer, if you're a designer, from the very, very beginning will help you solve uh, problems that you wouldn't come across otherwise until way later in the project. It will, um, it will allow you to learn from one another. You'll learn more about what's technically possible. The, the developer will come up with or be forced to come up with some creative solutions to uh, stuff that you'd like to have done. It becomes more of a partnership. Another thing is keeping uh, things simple. John Maeda, who um, was the former president of the Rhode Island School of Design, he wrote this really great book, I can recommend it, the ca- a small book um, called The Laws of Simplicity. And one of these laws is that um, simplicity involves taking away anything that's, that's unnecessary. Okay, we've all heard that before. My problem with that is that if you have to take away something that's unnecessary... Someone added that in the first place, you know? So if you don't add the unnecessary things in the first place, you don't have to take it away. So even if it's not physically possible, I recommend that people start off the design process with nothing, nothing at all. And I use this little trick, called, I call it the, the universal goal, which is A to B. Everyone wants to get from A to B. And what, a, what way A is and what B is, that depends on your project. But there's always A, there's always B. We saw the film that Lisa showed where the people were trying to fill in that form. You know, the goal is, you know, get the form filled in. A to B. Something is standing in the way of A and B. So if you just start off with nothing and ask yourself, what is the one thing that I absolutely need to get from A to B? And then you add that. And then you, you think, if I can only add one more thing that's absolutely necessary, uh, what would that be? And then you can add that. And then stop as soon as possible. And it seems like a really simple exercise, and it is, but nobody does it. And if they would, then it would make a huge difference in the things we use. It doesn't mean, simplicity doesn't mean um, make things stupid, you know, assume that end users are stupid. Um, My recent experience with an upgrade to (laughs) OS X was, uh, left me feeling like Apple thought that I was stupid. 
uh, it's supposed to be so simple. What they're doing is they're hiding a lot from me, right? They hide a lot, which um, it takes power away from you. You should make the things, you shouldn't hide things. If you have something, you can present it, but do it in such a way that it's easier to use. The hiding something is not making it simple. It's making stupid users, okay? So uh, to give an example of what I mean by simple, I always talk about a content inventory when you're designing something. Let's say we were to design a, um, a conversation thread screen for a messaging app, okay? I've, any, any design that I make, I do this content inventory. And it's not the traditional content inventory where you have... Um, an inventory of everything in a site. This is something that you think of beforehand based on all your research and the, everything you know about this thing that you're going to be making. And you just um, go into HTML, is what I do, and you just start um, making a list, a simple list, nothing more than a list. And the list has to have the things that absolutely have to be in this thing that you're designing. And that's it. It's a list. It's not something that you would go and say, hello, client, here's our content inventory. You know, it's, it's not an impressive, mile-long spreadsheet. It's a simple list. And it's allowed to be a, a simple list because it's, it's a tool for you. It's not a deliverable for the client. This focus, this like almost disgusting focus on making complicated deliverables so that we can impress the client with everything except the thing that we're supposed to be making is just ridiculous. We're making a list for us. We share it with the client during a discussion, and it's a simple, simple thing. Because what this does is it's going to tell us, are we, um, did we think of everything? Um, Does this make sense to have in there? We start thinking about priorities. What's most important here? And we can number them, uh, you know, as, as priorities. What's most important? What's less important? This is just an example. So, I mean, there, you could probably have a week-long discussion with everybody about what's most important in this list. But just um, this gets you thinking about the thing that you're going to be making, the content that will be in there. And the content is the most important thing. Designer Paul Rand always said that, that design is the method of putting form and content together. So you have to think about the content because such, uh, so much of web design today is just decorative container design, right? We make containers and d- someone's just gonna, someone somewhere else is going to fill that with something. And we hope that our design accounts for that. But if we start with this content, structured content, then we'll be able to, to uh, be more informed about the thing that we're designing. Okay, so this is just a, some, an example of the type of simplicity that I'm talking about. Don't make complicated deliverables when you don't need them. The, I, I would say just never make complex wireframes again, the, which at the risk of, you know, all the extra people are going to, like, lynch me <laughs> afterward. But these complex wireframes don't tell us enough information. They're great as a deliverable in and of themselves. And I'm sure that we can have fine arguments over beer about this. <laughs> but um, Another thing you can do is use a web, uh, web-based uh, code playground. The thing that I just used for that uh, content inventory was something called JSBin, 
and you also have something called CodePen, and there are a bunch of others. I prefer JSPen because it's so minimal, the interface. I, I really tend to like it. And it looks like this. You've got your HTML over here. You can put your CSS here. And whatever you make is live updated as you type over here. So it, make, it becomes kind of a sketching playground. Um, you can do stuff visually in, in kind of the same way you, you work in, in Photoshop, only instead of grabbing a rectangle and you know, pulling a rectangle, you would do that in code, but you'd immediately see the result, and you can play around with it as well. Uh, there's also a JavaScript tab up here. You can share this, in fact, and we won't have time, but uh, you could try it. What you could do is br uh, anyone can go to the, the link that you make on JSBin. So, example, for example, if I open a JSBin here on my laptop, I can go to that address on my phone, and everything I change on the laptop, I see changing here, but it also changes instantly on my phone. So if you want to try something out and see what this particular CSS does in a bunch of different devices, it's like a great, quick, ad hoc way to test all this kind of stuff. Uh, browser developer tools are, are really useful as well. And in fact, um, let me see if I can pull them up here. Whoop. I don't, have, I don't have the same screen on my screen, so I have to look back here. This, this is the developer tools. And if, if I wanted to, say, change the background here to red, then I can. And you can also get a color picker if you want and just play around with it like that. So you get all these, these visual uh, tools. Let me change that back to black, otherwise it'll screw up my entire presentation, but this is a great way to see not only how did people put this site together, how does this work, but you can play with these values and, and see what happens. And it's also a learning tool. It can help you learn a little bit of CSS. So once we have mock-ups, we often go, at, we'll sit there with the client and we'll start playing around with some of this stuff live in the browser and, and get a feel for what um, might work. Um, this is a little piece of code that uh, I recommend just putting at the top of every HTML file that you use. Just because what this does is it says, it tells the, the browser, hey, make the width of the page the width of the device. Which means um, that wherever your code is, it's not going to be like zoomed out, you know, really small on your phone. It's just going to um, treat the width of the page as the width of the device. So it's really useful, and you kind of have to have it if you do responsive design. So I had to put, put that in there. Um, content reference wireframes is another example of, of this simplicity that, I've, that I was talking about, which is where we take the content inventory that we have, and we start turning that into a wireframe. And a content reference wireframe, I call it that because it, it's wireframes the way we used to do it. That's what we used to call wireframes. I just call them that to differentiate them from the complex wireframes that are often made today. Um, all we want to do with these types of wireframes is start getting a feel for what would happen to this content. You know, what, how, how heavy is it? How do these things relate to one another? Wireframes should be about um, content relationships and hierarchy. 
and maybe a little bit about layout, but you're just kind of playing with layout. You don't really know enough about the content yet to effectively do, do layout. So you're transforming this, uh, this list that you made into a gray box wireframe, if you will, which will, uh, you could also make responsive and put breakpoints in there and everything. And then you're starting to, to ask yourself questions about this content. How, how large will, will something need to be approximately? You know, what, what type of content's going to be in there? And someone's going to ask critical questions. Um, they'll say, yeah, the messages, you know, you're going to have a whole conversation thread, so that's got to be a little bit bigger. So you can kind of guesstimate these types of things. Just to start, it's just to play around and kind of get familiar with uh, what this content might be. And what we end up doing is taking these gray box wireframes and replacing these, uh, this list, the items in the list, with actual content as soon as possible. That's probably the most important thing that you can do is um, lorem ipsum has its purposes. Um, figuring out what your design is going to be is not one of those purposes. So you need actual content or content that's representative of what you're going to be uh, using. And in this case, people always say to me, well, that works great for static you know, web pages when you're a freelancer and you do, like, blogs, but it doesn't work for an app. It absolutely works for an app. You can even prototype native uh, phone apps in HTML and CSS and JavaScript. There's no, uh, there's no reason not to. You can approach a lot of the functionality of native apps as well. But for web apps, a web app is a web page with functionality in there that you might not have in a blog or something. Um, so you can definitely prototype it. Starting your design with unstyled HTML. So Brian Rieger um, said this, and it's something that stuck with me. He asked himself the question, what would, if I could only communicate this thing, even if it's an app with unstyled HTML, how would I do it? And the cool thing about unstyled HTML is that it works everywhere. Everywhere, that anything that shows a web page, your HTML is going to work. This, uh, you've probably seen it to death, but the very first web page. Um, and it doesn't look pretty, but it is. it works still today, you know. And I'm sure Tim Berners-Lee didn't, you know, he's not Nostradamus or something. He didn't know there was going to be an iPad and stuff like that. The reason it works is just because it's simple, unstyled HTML. And this is kind of the base that you work from and progressively enhance from there. And it's kind of counterintuitive because as designers, we tend to go top-down, like make this beautiful thing and then figure out how it's going to work in these other browsers. So the challenge is to think the other way around. Start with the structured content and work up from that and make sure that every layer that you build, um, as a designer in your thinking, but also as developers, um, that it will just enhance the experience for the people who have the capabilities to, to get that experience. So taking that content would be on the left-hand side. We have uh, you know, name and number. We have call and delete. We have some messages here. And then you know, just translate that to, to plain HTML. Okay. So the visual thing that... Uh, 
we talked about a few minutes ago, one of the most important things you can do is just sketch a lot. So when I say it's not about designing in the browser, I mean the way I do it is I sketch, and then I look at my sketch, I you know, go through this whole process, and then I um, go into the browser and try to implement this thing that I sketched. So the visual part is the sketching part, and then I just try to use the tool to make it look like what I had in my, in my head when I was doing the sketching. And I recommend the sketching uh, process that a lot of you probably learned um, in school, which seems elementary, but it's really, really useful. And that's thumbnail sketches, the really small thumbnail sketches that you make really quickly. Uh, that only you can understand. Those are something you would never show to a client, for example. Do as many of those as you can within a short amount of time. And I don't mean like 10. I mean like 100 or more. It's so that it's almost, uh, that you think it's impossible for me to come up with another idea. Because that's when you're going to start coming up with crazy ideas and stop censoring yourself. And if everyone would do that, we wouldn't have an internet that looks, you know, where about 80% of the websites look like each other. Um, which is not really a problem in and of itself, but it is a problem because it's not, th those designs are not tailored to the thing um, they're communicating or their, their purpose. They're just kind of decorative containers. So uh, sketch, 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 sketch. Um, you'll hear more about sketching this afternoon. And something I like to do is uh, sculpting text. Uh, which I, I'll uh, show you what I mean by that. So I made, I made life a little bit easier for myself by writing code that I can just uncomment, <laughs> so I don't have to, uh, I don't have to mess up. But I also can't see very well. Hold on. So when I, when I uh, have this text and I have some sketches, then I just g literally go in and line by line uh, start tweaking this and, and turning it into something. So it's kind of like a, an additive sculpture. And I'm just going to uncomment these things so you get an idea of what, uh, what happens here. And nor, yeah, you would actually be writing <laughs> these, these rules, but I didn't want to bore you with that, so I'm going to bore you with this. <laughs> so just, you know, basic colors. The stuff that I'm showing you right now, that I'm, that I'm uncommenting right now, is just super basic stuff. Background, uh, padding, uh, colors, things like that. So you can see what what's starting to happen here is that uh, you're getting more of an idea of uh, how this thing should look on a phone. So I'm no, Jeremy Keith j kind of forbids me to say the word just because <laughs> I uh, apparently I say it's just HTML, it's just CSS, it's so easy, <laughs> you know, and it's not necessarily easy. But it's not as hard as as we tend to think it is um, to to get started with some of this stuff that I'm doing right here. Okay, so 
So you, you kind of get the idea if you change this, right? And add these little borders and I probably didn't write it in this order because <laughs> things are happening uh, before other things. But um, the cool thing is, you get the idea. The cool thing is that you can um, use you can use some newer CSS, like the cool bits of CSS. So in that in that demo, when it's totally done, which I should probably show you what it looks like when it's totally done. It's. Um, Oh, did I just, did that actually happen? Hold on. Well, all right. You'll just have to trust me. Um, you can use things like Flexbox. And if you know a little bit of CSS, there's this module called the Flexible Box Layout Module, which is new. Just till, until recently, like a couple of years ago, we couldn't even do real layout with CSS. Um, so it, it's possible to do now, but it's just not supported everywhere the way we would like. But that's not really your problem um, because you're, you know, the designer. So you've got it easier. Um, that means you do have to sit together with a developer if you want your comps to be, you know, to look the way you want them to look in all these different browsers. They don't have to look the same. And that's a really important thing, not only for you as a designer to realize, but also for the clients uh, to realize. And it's best that they learn that from the very beginning. So... Um, this is, this is what happens when you do that. Let's say we have that screen that I was working on just a couple minutes ago. You have that, that width. You just expand your screen, which no end user does, but you can do that. You just expand it until your design breaks, or until it no longer works, and then that's where you put a breakpoint. So you don't, you don't base breakpoints uh, on iPad formats uh, iPhone formats, et cetera, et cetera. You just um, let the content and the design determine where your breakpoints are. And then you sketch again, and then you go back into the browser, and then you add a media query and just fill in the rest. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> sketch at every breakpoint. Really, really important. Okay? This, I can't emphasize that enough because that's where the creative stuff happens. If you just go into the browser, you're just do it's just as bad as Photoshop if you just go in the browser and let the code determine things for you, okay? And um, implement your sketch before you move on to the next breakpoint. So the thing that I was just showing you right now where I was doing all the CSS for that breakpoint, I would go to the next breakpoint, I'd have my sketch, and then I'd implement that in CSS before moving on to the next breakpoint. So what you're doing is you're starting from this structured content foundation, and you're building up, you're building up, you're building up, and you eventually get to the desktop sizes, um, and then you have your design, uh, which seems really simple, uh, and it's not necessarily. Uh, so the point is to not be afraid of HTML, not be afraid of CSS, because it's not hard to learn the basics. If you go to Mozilla Developer Network, that's probably one of the best resources to start learning the stuff you don't know. Use your browser developer tools and look at the sites other people have made and try to figure out how they've done stuff, and just start playing around with it slowly. Okay, and have fun, because that's what it's all about. Okay, so thanks. <laughs>